I've entitled this message, Putting Off, Putting On. And we're dealing with the first segment within the book of Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 to 17. In most of the modern translations, we don't use the, the plural you. Uh, in, I was going to say southern America, but in the southern states of America, they have the you all. And in this, he uses that plural, the ye, the old English ye. We don't use that anymore, but ye all are in this. So as I'm reading this, remember that he's writing to you all rather than to somebody individual. Therefore, if ye, if you all have been raised up with Messiah, keep seeking the things above where Messiah is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above and not on the things that are on earth. For ye have died and your life is hidden with Messiah in God. When Messiah, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. For it is because of these things that the wrath of God will come upon the sons of disobedience. And in them you also once walked when you were living in them, because now you also put off all these things anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you laid aside, you put off the old self with its evil practices, and you have put on the new self, which is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him, a renewal in which there is no distinction between Greek and Jew, circumcision and uncircumcised, Barbarian, Scythian, slave, and freeman. But Messiah is all and in all. So as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Let the peace of Messiah rule in your hearts, to which you have been called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Messiah richly dwell within you, with all the word, wisdom, teaching, and ammunition, one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your heart to God. Whatever you do in word or in deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks and giving thanks through him to God the Father. Yeah, Father, give us wisdom on this passage, Lord. Give us insight that we may change our lives in Jesus' name. Paul, having dealt with the difficulties of chapter 2 in the, the chapter before that, chapter 1, that we already referenced earlier today, he indicated who Messiah was. He's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of creation. 
He gives that whole description. We read that, so I won't reread that. I was going to, but it is because of him that we are. And therefore, because he holds us together, he is the head of the body, which we are a part of, that whole ye thing that he has now, that he reconciled, as he says in verse 20, he made peace through his blood on the cross. So we are belonging to him. That's how he started in chapter 1. And therefore, he says in in chapter 1, verse 22, live holy lives. And here in chapter 3, he then expounds that. In that in-between chapter, he dealt with the heresies. And he says, listen, watch out for these things because they are coming upon us. Those empty philosophies that we see, legalism, mystical teaching, and that harsh self-denial of the body, that asceticism. He says, none of those will help you in any way if you are not in him. That's the point that he is making. You've been redeemed by him. Now don't fall into these empty philosophies who sound good and who make you feel good, but don't add to your life. And so now he uses these key phrases, put off and put on, put off and put on. He he keeps repeating this in this little segment because he wants us to know that we collectively need to do that. He doesn't write individually. It is hard to put something off and we talked about sin and that's what he's dealing with in this chapter and it is hard to do that. Why? Because we try to do it in the flesh. Doing it in the flesh is battling not only the self, but it's also battling the world and everything that goes against us. That's why we need to stand together. That's why we pray for one another. That's why we come together and sing and build one another up in the most holy faith. We. That's the key that he's trying to bring out. You see, we are all in him. Therefore, we have all died. We've all been raised. We. It is not about I at this point. And he wants us to know that it is about breaking our sinful habits so that our life may be built up. And that's why we need the elders of the congregation to come together and be mentors and guides and help us to establish our faith. You see, it is when Messiah is revealed in glory that we will be like him. But until then... I struggle with the self. Like the Apostle Paul did, he did things that he didn't want to do, so too for me. We are looking forward to that day when he will be revealed in glory so that we may be like him. But we today can lead transformed lives. In Colossians 2, in verse 12, He then gives us that guide. If we have been buried with him in baptism. In other words, we need to have died with him. Died with him before we can be raised with him. If we want the ability to change, we need resurrection power in us. Well, that resurrection power only comes if we have died. And that's uncomfortable because most of us want to have 
glory and power, but we don't want to die. And that's that whole point that he makes, that you cannot have one without the other. Some of the other congregations that are meeting today are all about power, but the power of the cross is through death and the resurrection that comes from it, but not the other way around. It is after the resurrection of Jesus that we've become beloved in him. And therefore, we are changed. But we need to have died to ourselves before we can be raised up. It is interesting that he says that as we've been raised up, seated and above, it is almost as if he's talking about a citizenship. We have a citizenship that is in heaven. And it's not because we have that, but because we are in him, because he comes from heaven. And because he comes from heaven, we have a citizenship if we are in him. And therefore, we seek that citizenship. We seek his kingdom. That's why when Jesus preached the gospel, he preached the gospel of the kingdom. We've exchanged our citizenship from the sons of darkness, the sons of disobedience, to the sons of light, to a citizenship in heaven. Therefore, seek the things that are from above, from heaven, rather than the things that are from earth. Uh, don't get me wrong, uh, I don't believe that, you know, when we all get to heaven, what a wonderful time that'll be, that we'll live there forever, as it implies. No, the heavens are the heavens of the Lord, the earth has been given over to the children of men, and we are destined for the new earth, not for the new heavens. The heavens still belong to God, but our citizenship is there because he came from heaven and we are in him. Paul writes that explicitly in Philippians 3 verse 20, but our citizenship is in heaven. But if we are a citizen of a country, it comes with obligations because there are laws in a country. It comes with rules, but also with benefits. And the main benefit is protection. Citizenship in heaven means that we are under the authority of Messiah. We are in him. And we are held together in him. Therefore, we are under the law of Messiah. And some of these laws he mentioned today forgive one another. And we are guided by a law giver. That's the Holy Spirit himself. And as such, we are called to do. Israel, too, was chosen, but they were in that chosenness. There was a calling. So, too, you have a calling upon your life. You are ambassadors for him. I wonder if we reflect on our encounters with the world and those who are in the world, whether they would see Messiah in us or whether they would say, Whatever they believe, I don't want it. Thank you very much. It's how we live our lives because of him. And if we are from above, then we can truly live like him. Uh, yes, it's true that the kingdom is still to come. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Matthew 6, verse 10. But the kingdom of God is bigger than the millennial kingdom. 
The Messianic kingdom is significant, that's true. But it's only a part of the kingdom. The kingdom has existed since time and memorial, since the first day. And we've become a part of one component. So how did we become a member or a citizenship? Well, through the death and the resurrection of Jesus, through the cross. There's no other way, by faith, through grace. That doesn't change. But now that we are in the kingdom, there are four transitions that he deals with. We've died to sin with Messiah, Colossians 3.3 3, or Colossians 2.20, 2 Timothy 2.11. They all deal with this. Consistently, Paul rates this for us. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Therefore, this kingdom is lost to us. We are in a new kingdom. Slavery, to, um, sorry, the consequences of sin and, uh, is no longer upon us, and the freedom that we have is here. Because only in him are we set free. So we've died with him, but we've also been buried with him. We are buried with him in baptism. That's the act of identifying with him, Romans chapter 6, verse 4. Our baptism symbolizes our death to the world. It's not that we physically die, but we change that citizenship over. And only then can we be raised with him. And therefore, be like him, seated in him above, because we are raised with him. That second half of that verse, Romans 6, 4, talks about that. With Messiah, that with him we are raised up from the dead by the glory of God the Father. Even so, we also should walk in the newness of life. And that's what he's describing here, that newness of life. And it is only then that we will have that glorified, resurrected power and citizenship that we long for, for we will be glorified with him. We, are, we have died to self or to sin specifically. We are buried with him. We are raised with him. And only then will we be glorified with him and be seated with him in the heavenlies. Now that seated is a reference from Psalm 110. And during the first coming of Messiah, he was a prophet, Deuteronomy 18, verses 15 to 18. Today, he is our high priest from the book of Hebrews primarily, but also from Psalm 110, a priest in the order of Melchizedek. But he is seated because his work for the atonement has been dealt with. He is still making intercession for us, thank God. We need it, but his ministry... As the, for the atoning work is finished. When he comes, he will come to judge and he will come apart from salvation and he will set up that messianic kingdom, Psalm 2. As I mentioned, he mentions these references, put on, put off, 
And it's interesting, those little phrases will help us because he doesn't get plucked them out of the air, he gets them out of the book of Zechariah in chapter 3. You're well familiar with it, but for the one or two among you who are not, it's that vision that he has of Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan standing at his right hand to accuse him. He is standing there in his filthy garments, in his unclean garments, standing before the angel of the Lord. And he says to him, put off, remove those old garments and put on those new garments, those festival or those festive robes. And with that act, he removes the iniquity, the sins. And that's exactly what Paul describes for us. It's that exchange that happens. And with that exchange, Satan can no longer accuse us. The accuser of the brethren may do so to us. But before God, if we are in Messiah, our sins are forgiven. And that's why we need to be so careful that we are in Messiah. You see, Satan accused Joshua the high priest, but today he would have to accuse Messiah himself, the sinless one. But there is a response. As we put him on, what is it that we need to do? Make no provisions for the flesh. Because we are partnering with him. And therefore, we put off the old habits. We put them to death. It's that whole plural thing, we. And it's important to recognize that because sometimes we struggle with this as individuals, but we need to do this together. And he mentions quite a bit of them here. Some of them may not apply to us as individuals, but as a community, fornication uncleanness, passion, and evil desires. Many of these are sexually based. They're sexual sins, covetousness, and greed. It is nothing less than idolatry because we have replaced the Lord with something else. And today, this is one of the major sins within our community. Not in this body, but in the world. For we are not sons of disobedience, sons of darkness. Our citizenship is in heaven. And therefore, while we know that the wrath of God still extends to them, it is no longer upon us. If we do fall into this, there is a, a loss of rewards. That is our punishment. But not a loss of salvation, because that is guaranteed by what he has done. And therefore... We are free. Yet at the same time, he says, even amongst us, put off anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language. Do not lie to one another. I, I love the way James puts this. He, he just says, bridle your tongue. But Paul says a whole list here. And many of these have to do indeed with speaking. The best thing to do sometimes is to keep silent. Keep stum. As King David once said, 
I will take heed to my ways that I sin not with my tongue. We need to make sure that we bridle our tongue. It is easy to get angry with the world and within the sins that are happening in the church at large. But if we do so, let's keep it in check. That's what he's saying to us. Bridle our tongue. Yes, we can be angry and have a holy zealousness for God, but it shouldn't come over into blasphemy or filthy language or lying, stretching the truth. Sometimes we defend Jesus and we emphasize his sweetness, and I appreciate that. But he's also coming as the king of kings, the judge of the world. And his wrath is still against the world. And we need to bring that balance of both sweet and gentle Jesus, but also the king of kings and the Lord of lords. In verses 9 and 10, he then says, the flesh, the old man, these old garments must be put off. We must put them to death. That's why we do this as a community, so that if we fall, we are standing together. We must put the self to death. God will renew us through the knowledge of the image of the invisible creator who put in us his imprimatur, his stamp that we lost at creation But now, in Messiah, the new Adam, we can be renewed. And so we have the image of the second Adam upon us. And so we should try to change our behavior. Not with more flesh, but in the spirit. How do you do that? Well, we do that together. By holding one another accountable. We do that together by singing and praising. Paul, while he doesn't specifically mention the word repentance, I do want to mention it because there is a condemnation that he mentions and it is out against the world. And when we read through the Hebrew text, we find two words that are used for repentance. The word shuv, shuvah, And that that comes from the word to turn. We need to turn away from sin and turn to the Lord. But there is a second word in Hebrew, nacham. And nacham means to repent, but within that there's the word for comfort. Because if we repent and turn to the Lord, we will find comfort. And so we need to ask the Lord to change us. And then in verse 11, he mentions there is no distinction. I woke up this morning and I still realized that I was a male. It didn't take very long. But in Messiah, there is no distinction. There's neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised. Barbarian, somebody who's bad at babbling, at at mouthing. It's not just the people. But these spoke bad language. And then Scythians are the worst. They're the slaves of slaves. 
And like in Philemon, where he also mentions that Philemon and his slave Onesimus are brothers, so here too he mentions slave. And it's that linking back that he does to Philemon. Elsewhere in Galatians 3.28, he also extends it to male and female. And so there is no class distinction, masters and slave. No sexual distinction, male and female. No ethnic distinction, Jew and Gentile. All of these things are irrelevant if we are in him. The privilege that the Jewish people had as the chosen people is not just for them, but it is for all of us. And it comes with a calling, but also with warnings. Therefore, be in Messiah and walk in him. It is no longer based on ethnicity, but on all those who are in Messiah. He is the light of the world. It doesn't mean that he will remove the promises, but he made promises to them that he'll fulfill, and he made promises to us. But the chosenness as a nation is no longer that significant. The question is, are you in Messiah and in him alone? He is our new image upon us, our creator, our redeemer, our light to the world. And in light of that, he says, now that you've put them off, put these things on. What are you to put on? A heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. (laughs) Okay, some of you will identify with me. I have little patience. But we need to therefore build one another up in patience not by testing one another, but by supporting each other. And if anyone has a complaint, hey, God forgave you. Remember? If he forgave you, how much more should you forgive one another? And it's that same language that we have. And we've become the elect of God. The Greek word eklektos, I like that word. You're an eclectic bunch of people. It really means favorite. It's an eclectic collection. It's a favorite collection of people that he's pulled out, out of all the world, out of all peoples. And he says, you've been chosen in him. Our destiny is in him. And we're holy, set apart. That's what the word holy means in its essence. Set apart for a calling. You are now partners with him, ambassadors. You work for him, whatever you may do. And you are beloved. Who doesn't want to be beloved? All of us do. But now it is our response to show that to each other, to put on that compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and be like him. Yes, there was also time for corrections. And when we look at the life of Messiah, we saw he had great compassion to the poor, the orphan, the widow. But he also had times for a harsh word with the Pharisees when he brought correction. But it was a family dispute, a family debate. And at the end of the day, they still walked away saying, you're still a brother in the Lord. So too for us. If we differ over something, 
you support the wrong football team or the wrong political party, it's okay. We are still brothers and sisters in the Lord and we still need to show love, humility, kindness, patience, peace, all of these things. Therefore, let the peace of Messiah rule in your hearts. For this is what we are called to do. The word rule here is really the word for umpire or uh, somebody who judges a wrestling match, match, a referee, we would say. And so in life too, we need to think through these things that we struggle with. And if we have the peace of God upon us, let's go ahead. And if we don't have peace about it, Let's not do it. That's what this really is saying. Do you have a peace about the things that you're doing? Because this is what we're called to. And what is it that we're called to? Be thankful. Oh, give thanks to the Lord. How many times do we read that phrase in the Psalms alone? And that's what we need to do. We need to be people who are thankful. It's easy to be critical, the world, politics, you name it, the weather. I'm not grateful for the weather, but I'm grateful that he gave us air conditioning. You see, there is that balance, and we need to be grateful people and build that up, because not only what he's done, but what he's doing through us. He's guiding us with his peace, and he's made us into new people. And so therefore let the word dwell in us, the word of Messiah. Well, what's the word of Messiah? When Paul wrote this, the New Testament hadn't been written yet. You see, I think the word of Messiah starts in Genesis, because he is the creator, and it finishes in Revelation. It is let the word be in you richly, with all its wisdom and teaching and admonition, and then he mentions three ways for us to practically do that. We're not all teachers, but we can all sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. Psalms is easy. That's the book of Psalms. Those five books that we have in our Old Testament that are collectively called the book of Psalms. And it comes from the word tehillah, meaning to give praise. So that's easy. Many of the psalms have a cry within them, a cry for help or a lament. But most of them end in a song of praise. These are divinely inspired by God. Then he mentions hymns. Now we think of hymns as in those songs that were written in the 16th, 17th, 18th century. But they too weren't written. But these are songs that were inspired by scripture and so they quote scripture by and large then finally spiritual songs songs that give expression to our faith in worship they may or may not include a quotation from scripture but they need to be correct with scripture and so whether we sing the psalms directly the, div the divine inspired word whether we sing hymns those bits that are quoted from scripture or whether we sing spiritual songs, it makes no difference. He says all of these things, how do we do that? With thankfulness in your heart to God. And he comes back to that, be thankful. 
It is the primary calling for the believer to be thankful for all that God has and is doing in our lives. Songs have been sung. The first one in the Bible is in Exodus, in Exodus 15, verse 1, the, the song of the sea. Since then, we've been singing songs, and I suspect even earlier. But that's the first song that is recorded. And the last one is in the book of Revelation. And every major section of the Bible has songs. Psalm 40, verse 3, he put a new song in my mouth, a new shear, a song, a tehillah, a psalm of praise. And that's what we need to do. We need to sing songs, psalms, hymns to God. Let that new song arise in what God has done for us. We may not be all gifted musicians and we may not all be gifted singers. That's why some of us sing, well, all of us sing quietly now because of COVID, but some of us will sing louder than others. But for God, it is all praise to him. And that's what we're called to do, to be thankful and giving praise. Verse 17, whatever you do, in word or in deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. In the name means in the authority of Jesus. Do all things that I do, or do I say, words and deeds, if I would think that the Lord Jesus would be standing right next to me, would I do them? Perhaps not. And it's good time to then think, maybe I shouldn't say anything. Maybe I shouldn't do something. It's a good way to remember to get rid of these sins that are in our lives. Whatever you do in word and in deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks. And again, he repeats that thanks through him to God the Father. Our giving thanks goes through Jesus, just as our prayers do. And so we need to be people of praise, reflecting upon what he's done and singing his praise and his glory day by day. But well, that's our calling and that's our duty.